Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Do, 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 do. Anything in particular? I'm going to talk about anything you want. <laughs> okay. You know me. Is this like coffee with Nate? Yeah, this is sort of like coffee with Nate. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Back here for our post playoff race edition the third episode we've had even though it's the second playoff race we did a preview race with jeff burton and then the last two weeks we've had steve letard steve thanks for joining us no problem no problem there's enough to talk about my goodness there is so let's start with the winner back-to-back wins for martin truex jr call off the playoffs are he and cole Pern gonna win the next eight uh he almost won the roval last year (laughs) i think he's gonna be a favorite going into sunday at charlotte um i give him a better chance to sweep the round and to win the next eight. How about that? I mean, it's the 19 team we've seen all year. They were a little cool to start the year. They figured it out at Richmond, went on to win four of the next seven, got a little cool again. Now they're heating back up. This is surprisingly the first time in his career he's gone back to back, which shocks me. But so, so I think the significance really is that if you go back to the beginning of the playoffs, he was the guy a little behind in playoff points which really is the key in round of eight and round of 12. And what these two wins do is fill that bucket up. And I think that will come into play at some point in the next couple rounds. So I do expect them to be aggressive at the Roval and try to fill that bucket a little bit more. And Kyle Busch finishes second after being the center of controversy at Las Vegas. You know Kyle Busch is not happy with his teammate passing for the lead. I don't think we were as good as him all night long. Um, Martin are the combination thereof, us combination of just um, lacked a little bit. You know, it's like the 11 lacked a little bit more than us. You know, just weird. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was struck that one of the first things Kyle Busch says to Parker in his post-race interview, and his post-race interviews were a little more conciliatory than the week before. He was a little more composed. But Kyle made a point of saying, well, for, first he was confused. You guys mentioned this on NASCAR America last night. First, Kyle seemed confused as to why is my car slower than Martin Truex Jr. I think that goes to what we've talked about. Now he knows exactly what Martin Truex Jr. has, and that's got to be frustrating. But Kyle also made a point of saying, I, I was slower than Truex the way the 11 was slower than us. <laughs> so, so what I picked up even more than that was it wasn't the 19 versus the 18 versus the 11. He was very specific to say Martin and his car and the combination was faster than me my car mm-hmm. and the combination. And while that seems slight, spectacular athletes don't ever like to show their hand of perhaps weakness. The opposite is when a race car driver who's as good as Kyle Busch, who's coming off such a, a bumpy week as it was in Las Vegas, doesn't point fingers 
kind of anywhere, but a little bit takes you know ownership that he drives the 18. I'm not saying the 18 slower than the 19. I'm saying the 18 with me driving it is slower than the 19 with him driving it. That actually is a telltale to me that the 18 is perhaps back on its the mend quicker than I thought. There was a very in- easy opportunity for Kyle to just take shots at three Gibbs cars and say his was the second fastest. He didn't. He said his combination was the second fastest. Hmm. I think that makes him a little more dangerous. That tells me that Adam Stevens and Kyle Busch are as good as they've ever been. Uh, tells me that he believes in his race team. Tells me that his race team still believes in him after a few weeks of gaffes, uh, mistakes that we haven't seen Kyle Busch make. And more than anything, it was as basically blueprint a Kyle Busch race as you can have. He put himself in a position to win. His car wasn't as fast as the 19 on the long run. He had a pretty cordial interview for finishing second. I'd be a little concerned if I was the uh, opposition that Kyle Busch perhaps has calmed back down and ready to make a run. Where do you think Kyle Busch sizes up Martin Truex Jr. now as a teammate and driving, again, like at Furniture Racing, they had mostly the same stuff as Gibbs, but they were able to optimize some of their parts and pieces. And, and Kyle kind of alluded to that, especially during Truex's championship season, that, you know, they're doing things to their cars that we can't. And I, I think that could always be looked at as, you know, if there's a difference, if there's a reason Truex is better than me, that's it. Now they're in the exact same stuff. And they have the opportunity to be in the exact same stuff. The opportunity to be in the exact same stuff. But does Kyle, Kyle is supremely confident in his own abilities. And I guess what I'm trying to ask here is, do you think he's gained more of a respect for Truex as a driver? Because Truex has always been looked at. He's a champion in 2017, but he's never been looked at, I think, as elite superstar level of Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick. His name doesn't always get grouped. You always hear Cole Pern's name attached to Martin Truex Jr. You always hear the car get attached to Truex. I don't know if we talk enough about Truex as the driver. And I feel like, this season, I've seen a little bit more from Kyle. I think he's respectful of Truex's abilities, maybe in a, a different way than he had been in the past. I don't know if it respect is the word I would use. I think he's more aware than that is probably the path of the championship is going to have to go through one of his teammates. Mm-hmm. And that becomes very difficult. I think we don't hear Cole Pern, or excuse me, Martin Truex Jr. name as much because Martin doesn't want you to hear it. He talks about Cole Pern. He says it in every interview. He deflects the you know, credit when possible. Um, since the beginning of 2016, the man's won 22 races. Second to him is Kyle Busch with 21. 43 races between two race car drivers in the last three and a half years. I don't think any of us are shocked that that's where the championship perhaps is going to have to go through. I do think, as you mentioned, there was always the question of what else do they have out there in Colorado. I think that is now answered. He knows what they have. I, I kind of corrected you saying he has the opportunity because we don't know if the 18 and the 19 were the same. True. True. Like, we don't know. I was a crew chief for a long time, Riley. We, yeah. There might have been a fundamental difference that they might be sitting back there on Monday going, yeah, next time we're going to run that. They have access to all the same stuff. And theoretically, Adam Stevens can see exactly m- what Pern has. More yeah, maybe Cole Pern mentioned before, it after right? the race. The adjustments through the race were seen by the guys he was trying to beat. Yeah. So not only it doesn't end at pre-race like it does at some organizations from what I got from those comments, it's continuing through the race. That's why I think Kyle lumped him into it lumped himself into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Is I think, as I said, what makes Kyle more dangerous is he no longer is saying, well, it must be something else. Like, like the worst thing you can do is take one of the best in the world and say you're not as good as you think you are and put that guy, give that guy a little bit more drive to get better. That, that's not good. You're better off to have Kyle Busch walking around thinking he's the best. It doesn't work on getting better because if he you know, wakes up one day and decides to put 5% more effort into something, that's an even more dangerous Kyle Busch. That's not the guy I would want to race against. Right. I think you're seeing Denny Hamlin made a crew chief change this year. Um, the whispers were, how long can he stay winless at Joe Gibbs Racing? And look at the year he's having. 
I don't think it's by design that these guys that are already spectacular, the problem is they're racing other spectacular drivers. None of us can be our best every day. That's impossible. It's a great cliche. I'll give me your 100% BS. You can't do it every day. It's impossible. And Jimmy Johnson set the blueprint of give me 10 weeks. And I think people have seen what Jimmy did, and now these drivers of today's age are saying, all right, 10 weeks. I just need to be that guy for 10 weeks. And in 10 weeks, I can add a huge trophy to my trophy case. And that Kyle Busch did seem a little more mentally in it and certainly not as frustrated as after Vegas. Do you think Adam Stevens had a talk with his driver and said, hey, I'm crew chief, I'm the leader of this team. You're, you're the guy behind the wheel. You're our quarterback, but let's talk about things. So I asked him to the point. Friday morning in Richmond, and he did a ma magical job of uh, avoiding it. <laughs> Not he basically said, well, sometimes I talk to him, sometimes I don't, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And I kind of looked at him, and he smiled. I'm like, ah, that's him not telling me what they did. Yeah. And He talked and, to him. And good for him. <laughs> um, you know, he shouldn't have to tell me what, what they do to – you know, how Jeff Gordon and I approached the weekends was different than how Dale Jr. and I approached the weekends. Adam Stevens, his record with Kyle Busch cannot be argued. I mean, it is amazing. So I would go with the statement of I'm not sure who else out there would be better to try to keep the 18 on track than Adam Stevens. And from what I saw from Richmond, they were one-timely yellow or a little bit better on older tires away from doing that. Much like Truex, Adam Stevens is also a name that we probably don't talk about nearly as much as we should among, when it comes to best crew chiefs and cup. And again, by design, like Truex, I don't think Adam Stevens wants his name. He's a great interview when I've talked to him, but to your point, he probably doesn't want to a answer questions if they're not asked or not have the questions asked at all. No race team, no sports organization has room for two voices. If it's in football, you either have a mouthy quarterback or a mouthy head coach. <laughs> I was one, like when I was Jeff Gordon's crew chief, Jeff Gordon was the spokesman. Then I became crew chief for the most popular driver in the entire sport, and he somehow deflected it where I became the spokesman. That is a successful way to go about it because when you have two spokesmen, Unless you do a really good job comparing your notes before every interview, at some point you're going to conflict one another, and then everybody jumps on that. The 19, in my mind, Martin gets the microphone a lot, but we perhaps listen to Cole Pern more. In the 18 car, I would say we listen to Kyle Busch the most. In the 11, I would say it's definitely Daddy Hamlin. I mean, you can basically make the identity. I mean, the four car, it's definitely Kevin Harvick. I mean, the identity exists through all of this. That's by design. I mean, you don't want two voices. Where do you rank Truex as a driver? Because this is, again, someone who, he never won a short track race until earlier this year. Now he's won. He swept Richmond. He'd always been great at short tracks. And I just feel like, you know, is would a second championship go a long way toward Martin Truex Jr. being considered I mean, he'd have more than Kyle Busch. He'd have more than Kevin Harvick well, at that so point. Well, the, so the answer to that question is currently we have a, of the current drivers, Jimmy Johnson's resume is mountains in front of everyone else's. Behind Jimmy Johnson, with the, with the loss of the sport with Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon and all the other, people forget there's not another multi-time champion in the sport. Not one. They're all singles. Brad, Joey, I mean, I can go through the list. Kyle. Harvick, Truex, and I really think what we are watching this year, and I think it will continue because they all have years to go, is who is going to be the standout of this generation? Because I think we could all argue it was the King, then it was Senior, then it was Jeff Gordon, then it was Jimmy Johnson, fill in the blank. Because I'm not sure anybody's willing to fill in the blank. Who is the post-Jimmy Johnson face of the sport? Maybe Kyle Busch gets the most noise. But he still only has one championship trophy. Martin Truex Jr., one. 
Joey Logano, one. Kevin Harvick, one. All right, who? There's five names. Of yeah. those five, someone in my mind, one of those five is going to repeat. If not, and it's Denny Hamlin, now we have six that have amazing resumes. Six Hall of Fame drivers. Yeah, all of these guys are And the something. order in which they're going to go in the Hall of Fame is going to be determined by A, their age, and B, who wins more ch- championships. That's a great point. So if, if Truex gets the second title – before any of these guys, or none of these guys get a second title, maybe he goes in first, you which is to. crazy to think you, about. Assuming they all retire at the same yeah. time, you would absolutely have to. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I don't know how else you do it, right? Like, right. in the end, listen, this is unpopular, but sports are about performance and performance in the postseason. And in the end, that's what the fans want to see. That's it. That's what builds dynasties. And based off that performance, is Truex getting better, do you think? I mean, he's he had his absolute peak. He's at his late 30s. A lot of people say this is when the prime of a driver's career happens. So Martin has made great career choices that have lined up with his maturity and his talent. You know, MWR was decent. No one saw what he did in Furniture Row. Anybody who said that's lying. No one. Now, there's groups out there that might have believed it. But no one in the mainstream of NASCAR, when he went there year one and they could not hit the side of the barn running RCR equipment, did people say, oh, that's the team. You watch that team. But he matched up with Cole Pern. I've talked to him on the podcast. Him and Cole Pern in that down year really galvanized their relationship. And together, you never see – I guarantee they disagree. Everyone does. But they miraculously always do it in private. They do a great job of – airing all their dirty laundry in their own meetings and cleaning up their own situations. They've lost key personnel in their shift to Joe Gibbs Racing, yet are back to, to performing of the level that we're expecting. So, like I said, round one has gone to Martin Truex Jr., but we don't give the trophy for round one. Right. Before we move on from the Truex discussion, I just want to give you a chance to plug uh, your podcast. Like Hard on Location, you talked with Martin Truex Jr.'s partner, Sherry Pollux. Great conversation yesterday, and that's coming out soon. It was breathtaking. So um, I am ashamed to say that I had no idea the value of the teal color. Everybody knew pink was breast cancer awareness. I didn't know that gold was for child uh, pediatric cancer, and I didn't know teal was for ovarian cancer until Sherry through her battle with ovarian cancer, has brought it to light. Um, Sitting down one-on-one at Levine Children's Hospital in the Seacrest Studios discussing um, growing up as a championship. You know, people forget her dad won a championship as an Xfinity car owner. Uh, She started dating Martin when he was racing for championships. They've been together forever. She answers the question of why they're not married. (laughs) She she then takes us through this path of what a vibrant, healthy 35-year-old who can't find the solution to her medical issue when a doctor finally sits down, puts these scans in front of you and says, this is bad and we need to get this. To hear that firsthand account from Sherry is remarkable. And she says it with such strength and with such conviction it's amazing the battle she's gone through. It reminds us all, as great as these playoffs are, they're just sports. And sometimes we all need to be reminded of that. And Sherry did it. It's going to be out uh, this week, and it's going to be a good time for sure. Must listen. Check that out wherever you download podcasts. The Tartan Location Stage 3 Cancer Survivor, Sherry Pollock's on her battle and uh, her uplifting way that she deals with having ovarian cancer. Very, very good stuff. Let's uh, put a bow on Richmond by talking about, you know, it wasn't the most eventful of Richmond races, but there were a couple of flare-ups. It was a blueprint Richmond. Blueprint Richmond, you think? Long green flag runs, a few moments. The moments... Uh, one involved the leader when Ricky Stenhouse self-admittedly made a mistake and ran poor Martin Truex Jr. over. You know you have a good lead when you spin and come out third. <laughs> Got very lucky, and he said it, not to get hit. Um, once again, we had a non-playoff driver and a playoff driver hit each other. Um, the 88 abuses the three going into turn one. I know why he did it. I'm not questioning it. He needed that free pass, having a bad weekend. The 88 then goes down the backstretch. The three chases him down, catches him in the quarter panel, and spins him out. So now we have 
two playoff races and two events. It was Suarez Logano in the first race, and now it's Bowman and uh, Austin Dillon. I don't think that's going way ahead into the Roval. And then once again, I think the biggest storyline we're not talking about is perhaps one of the brightest stars in NASCAR who's trying to enter that realm of Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, and that's Eric Jones. And he states with conviction, I don't have to win. I can get in on points. I said, man, he's crazy. He goes out there and a 400 laps proves me absolutely wrong. Scores points in every stage, runs well in the race, scores all these points, leaves Richmond minus three to the cut line, and after the race, fails inspection, loses 42 points. He's now in a must-send situation. Two races in a row, two races where points are given up, not of the driver's doing. It'll be interesting to see the bounce back of the 20. That's a big emotional toll. If they don't move through from the Roval, that's a team I'm going to have circled through the offseason to see – it's easy to say we're all still friends, but are they? Can yeah. they put their arm around one another? I've seen no crack in the armor. I just have been in those situations, and I know how much disappointment it can be in when it doesn't work out. Remember, they've worked 26 weeks to be in this position. Now week 27 and 28 has fallen apart. Well, Eric Jones has had the same crew chief since his rookie season in Cup in 2017 for intro. Chris Gale, he moved with him last year. They got their first victory together. Jones's first Cup victory at Daytona last year. They win again a few weeks ago at Darlington, Southern 500. Jones, I think, has had a great third year in Cup, uh, despite all of the distractions. He, he signed the extension a few weeks ago, but yeah. there were a lot of questions about his future. But given all that, it was really interesting, Stevie, what you said on Monday on NASCAR America about this team. I hadn't thought about this, that there is the possibility for dissension there just from the level of, yes, like Gale and Jones have a really good working relationship, but both of these instances, it was a mechanical problem at Las Vegas, and now it's a post-race inspection failure at Richmond. So as, as you said, like your job as the crew chief is not to put the driver in those types of positions. Eric Jones has done nothing wrong the first two races and now finds himself in a win or else situation at the Roval. You know, when I look at Eric Jones, every crew chief, every driver, you know, you control a lot, but there's a lot you don't control. And you just hope during your career you get in position at a company that's on fire. And that's what Joe Gibbs Racing is and has been. So at some point, Eric Jones is going to wake up and say, man, I've only won two races. Say the 18, 19, and 11 all go to Miami. That's only going to, like, so if the 20, it's okay to say, man, it just wasn't our time, right? But then you have to continue to go to the racetrack, and it continues to fester. And then if you go to Miami with one, two, or three of your teammates racing for a championship, that's going to be very hard to swallow for this 20 team because the ball was fumbled, and it wasn't fumbled by the driver. And I'm not even blaming the crew. Like, the crew chief ultimately is responsible for it all. Um, it was a mechanical issue. I don't know the details. I heard it was a stuck throttle that turned into a broke transmission at Las Vegas. In the end, it doesn't matter. Um, the simple fact is the points weren't there. So um, Eric Jones has handled the rumors about his contract wonderfully. Never heard him say a cross thing about his crew chief or his crew chief about him. And maybe I'll be wrong and everything will be great. But it wouldn't shock me if this is – there have been points in my career I can go back and say there are moments apparently I never got over. I thought I did, but I didn't really. And they just kind of much like a marriage, right? There's this moment that you fight about and you think it's all over, but then the next fight it gets brought back up. And you say, well, I thought we talked about that. You know, when is Eric Jones going to be like, well, you know, you guys knocked me out of the playoffs. We'll see. Or yeah. he could have perhaps the biggest walk-off win ever. I mean, if he wins a Roval and moves through, he instantly becomes a driver I'm perhaps the most dangerous yeah. of because if he can put all this behind him and get a win, that would be some momentum. That would be a galvanizing moment for the number 22. I mean, that would be – it instantly would go to, hands down, the biggest win of 2019. I want to talk to you about one more crew chief driver thing that you alluded to, the Austin Dillon, Alex Bowman things. Alex Bowman on the bottom, Dillon in the middle, William Byron up top. And there's just not enough space for everyone. The 88 goes in, 
So as you said, Alex Bowman uses Austin Dillon up on a restart, trying to get the free pass. He's in the playoffs. Austin Dillon is not. Austin Dillon gets told by his team, by his team owner and his crew chief, Danny Stockman, go wreck that guy. He's got his grandfather, Richard Childress, telling him the same thing. Austin Dillon does that. He, he damages Alex Bowman's car, but he damages his own car as well. When we played some of that audio on NASCAR America, there was some pangs of regret for Austin Dillon about, hey, why'd you tell me to do this? What, what's that like, crew chief perspective? And w- when you hear that from a driver, you told him to go do this. Well, I've never told a guy to go wreck a guy. <laughs> um, I believe. So that, that might have been the mistake. So I was disappointed to know I was fine if it was Austin's decision. Mm-hmm. The 88 hit him. I mean, the 88 used him up into one. Right. And the three gave him the old soft spin. He didn't wreck him on corner entry. He chased him. Th- like, these guys are way more in control, right? He chased him around a corner exit and sends him up the track knowing that it's not going to be very bad. Um, I was good with that. I lost my kind of acceptance when I heard that it came over the radio from the owner and the crew chief. I don't like that. I, I – you know, now there's a difference between if you want to go get him, go get him. We're all fine. All right, now you're just kind of like freewheeling. Now you're letting your driver know you don't have to answer to us. But that's different than I want you to go do. Like, you're not the driver. You know, let the drivers handle it themselves. So I, that, I, I lost a little interest in So that was, as you mentioned, playoff driver versus non-playoff driver. We're heading to the Roval where I'm sure we're going to see much more of this. Dustin Long, my colleague at NBCSports.com, had this quote from Jimmy Johnson going into Richmond in which he said, hey, I had some guys abuse me on restarts at Las Vegas. I'm not putting up with that anymore. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, of course, ran very well at the Roval last year, nearly won it, would have won it if not for the mistake going into the the final two corners with Truex. What do you make of that heading in the Roval, that whole discussion? Could we see Jimmy Johnson stepping out of his normal type of reputation and and taking it out on guys (laughs) to try to win the Roval? I think that Jimmy Johnson was a little taken back on the lack of respect that non-playoff guys get at Las Vegas because he's never done one. Yeah. He's never wore those shoes. And I think him saying that freed him up. And I think it also freed up any other non-playoff driver because he's a spokesman. He's a seven-time. He's been in those other guys' seats 16 times or 15 times. When I read that, that tells me I would be a little careful with Daniel Suarez, who's perhaps racing for a ride. There's a list out there. I, I don't know what could happen, but I will say that if anyone who is in a playoff position expects a playoff a non-playoff car to give them an inch, that could be the inch that spins them out because I'm not sure they're going to do it. I actually think it would be the opposite. I think Eric Jones is going to get the most leeway from his three teammates. If I'm Eric Jones, my goal is to run up front, and I don't expect Kyle Busch to let him win, but if I drive in side-by-side side with the 18 and the backstretch chicane, I would be shocked if Kyle Busch drives in there next to him. And I think he's earned that right, you know. Mm-hmm. So, But if he drives in there side-by-side side with Daniel Suarez, you better be sure you're going to be side-by-side in that middle of the corner and have a plan, which is good. You know, what's great about the sport is the better the feeder series are with talent, the better races we see at the top because there's this pressure to perform. And I think the sport goes through waves of we see it. The same drivers kind of getting recycled. Eh, not really a lot of pressure to perform. 
when these big movement of young stars come up, we see some of these other drivers make some daring moves. And you said it on NASCAR America. I mean, you feel like the non-playoff drivers don't owe the playoff guys anything. I think early in the playoffs they don't. I do think that a one-race championship, you need to understand that you're no longer in it. I do believe that. I know it's an awful thing to say, but it's a three-race round. One posi- if one position matters, you're not running good enough, right? But Miami, when you go to Miami – Man, just let them – the best of those four need to go figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, I'm not saying pull over, but just use a little bit of – just a little bit of good common sense when you're racing a playoff guy. I know you talked about this on NASCAR America. We just talked about it on our Splash and Go hit, but we'll wrap up here. Just the Roval, year two, they've changed the profile of the backstretch chicane. What are you looking for year two in the Roval? What's the number one thing you think people should be watching going in this race? Well, so a couple things. I think changing the chicane is a much bigger task than people have given it credit for. I think Marcus and the team at Charlotte Motor Speedway should get credit for reinvesting into something that was already successful. It could have been just as easy for them to say, I know we had problems, but we moved that barrier for the race, and it was fine. They didn't. In today's world of what I call scared economics, reinvesting is a, is a major, major step, and, and I applaud Marcus for doing it. The second part is, with the lack, the unknowns have dwindled some, but the twice, the kind of style of racing have amped them right back up. Completely different rules. The drivers are all irritated because every week is a, just a dogfight on the restarts. So I don't think that restart craziness will carry over to restart craziness of the Roval. But I just think that slow infield section begs for you to hit someone. You're running around there in second gear, 70 miles an hour. Like it begs for you to just, I just I'm behind this guy for 10 laps. If I can just move his left sides off into the gravel, I'm gone. I'm by. We are going to see that because these points buckets are so even. If one point jumps from a bucket to a bucket, it could change somebody's postseason. And there's so many storylines to watch. It's going to be an absolute blast. And you can watch all of it right here. Cup qualifying from the Roval Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. We've got the Xfinity race. Don't sleep on the Xfinity race. Xfinity race was very good last year. 3.30 p.m. Saturday. Uh, That's on NBCSN as well. And finally, Sunday, cup race, end of the first round. We've got that coming to you starting with Countdown to Green, 1.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. And then the race will get started a little bit after 2.30 on NBC. End of the first round from the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. We, we couldn't sit here long enough to come up with all the potential <laughs> chaos. I can't wait. You just got to watch. Nothing. Nothing matches postseason sports. That's great. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate, appreciate you talking it, about Appreciate it. Our thanks again to Steve Wittart for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast playoff edition. As Stevie mentioned, you should also check out his podcast, The Tart on Location This Week, has a great conversation with Sherry Pollux, longtime partner of Martin Truex Jr., and about her really uplifting, positive perspective on battling ovarian cancer. I'm sure this is something you definitely would want to listen to. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Go check out La Tarte on Location's new episode this week. And, of course, you can listen to this podcast as well, the NASCAR and NBC podcast, available everywhere you download podcasts. And we also have the YouTube version now of this podcast, the playoff episodes available on the NBC Motorsports YouTube channel, Motorsports on NBC. Be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel so you can watch this podcast if you prefer to do it that way or just listen to us as you always would. And, of course, as always... Any feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.